3AM Tales of Terror contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to 3AM Tales of Terror, where we tell you stories of the paranormal. I'm your host, Jamie. And I'm your co-host, Charlie. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the Bell Witch in Adams, Tennessee. I really like this story because the Bell family actually lived in North Carolina, but the county that they lived in was pretty far away from us. So, But anyways, that's a pretty cool story. A little creepy. We can get into that. And we're going to do the same thing. We're going to go back and forth reading sections of what I've researched. So, so I'll start. In the early 1800s, John Bell moved his family from Edgecombe County, North Carolina, to the Red River Bottom Land in Robertson County, Tennessee, settling in the Red River community, which later became the present-day Adams, Tennessee. Bell purchased some land and a large house for his family. Over the next several years, he acquired more land, increasing his holdings to 328 acres, and cleared a number of fields for planting. He also became an elder of the Red River Baptist Church. John and his wife, Lucy Bell, had three more children after moving to Tennessee. The Bells had a very happy and successful early life at the Red River Settlement. However, legend has it that a woman named Kate Batts was a part of that land deal, which had gone awry. She eventually cursed the Bell family, and soon after Batts' death, the family started to see strange apparitions near their home. First of all, 328 acres? Yes, I marked that as well. Is a goal. Do you know how many chickens I can have? And you know what? I don't even care who makes fun of me, because... What about goats? Stop it. The fainting ones, though. Yes. (laughs) We don't want to get too off topic, but 320 acres, 20, 328 acres, huh, dream. Yes. <laughs> so then the strange occurrences commence. One day in 1817, John Bell was inspecting his cornfield when he encountered a strange looking animal sitting in the middle of a corn row. Shocked by the appearance of this animal, which had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit, Bell shot several times. The animal vanished. This was the first documented manifestation of the entity. Bell thought nothing more of the incident, at least not until after dinner. That evening, the family began hearing beating sounds on the outside walls of their log home. The mysterious sounds continued with increased frequency and force each night. Bell and his sons often hurried outside to catch the culprit, but always returned empty-handed. In the weeks that followed, the Bell children began waking up frightened, complaining that rats were gnawing at their bedpost. Not long after that, the children began complaining of having their bed covers pulled from them and their pillows tossed on the floor by a seemingly invisible entity. First of all, the animal, body of a dog, and the head of a rabbit. Kind of freaky. I found pictures where where I found this story, and it had, it almost looks like drawings of the picture, of of like the depictions of the animals, so I will get those pictures and post them on our website though because they looked really cool even if they were drawings or whatever so i don't know they just they're really cool but it has a depiction of that animal so or entity whatever so then the bell witch develops a voice and becomes violent not long after that incident of the invisible entity as time went on the bells began hearing faint whispering voices which too weak to understand but sounded like a feeble old woman singing hymns The encounters escalated and the Bell's youngest daughter, Betsy Bell, began experiencing brutal encounters with the invisible entity. It would pull her hair and slap her relentlessly, often leaving welts and handprints on her face and body. 
The disturbances about which John Bell had vowed his family to keep secret finally escalated to the point that he shared his family trouble with his closest friend and neighbor, James Johnston. Skeptical at first, Johnston and his wife spent the night at the Bell home. Things began peacefully, but once they retired for the evening, they were subjected to the same terrifying disturbances that the Bells had been experiencing. After their bed covers were yanked off and James was slapped, he sprang out of bed exclaiming, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? The entity did not respond. The rest of the night was peaceful. The next morning, Mr. Johnson explained to the Bells that the culprit was likely an evil spirit, the kind that the Bible talks about. The entity's voice strengthened over time and became loud and unmistakable. It sang hymns, quoted scripture, carried on intelligent conversation, and once even quoted word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles apart. Word of the supernatural phenomena soon spread outside the settlement, even to Nashville, where the then Mayor General Andrew Jackson became interested in the so-called Bell Witch. So yes, we're about to get more into Andrew Jackson, but that was our one of our presidents. Yes, it was. Don't ask me which one, because I'm not a history buff, but... <laughs> Back before he was a president. So the Bell Witch ridicules Andrew Jackson's sidekick. John Bell Jr., along with his brothers, Drew Rebell and Jesse Bell, had fought under General Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans. A few years later... In 1918, Jackson heard about the disturbances at the Bell home and decided to pay a visit and investigate. As Jackson's entourage, consisting of several men, well-groomed horses, and a large wagon, approached the Bell property, the wagon jolted to a sudden stop. It had become stuck in a muddy creek bed, and the horses were unable to pull it. At least that's what the men thought. After several minutes of cursing and trying to coax the horses into pulling the wagon, Jackson proclaimed, "'By the eternal boys, that must be the Bell Witch.' Then, suddenly, a disembodied female voice told Jackson that they could proceed and that she would see them again later that evening. They were then able to proceed across the property, up the lane, and to the Bell home. That evening, Jackson told old war stories while his entourage set up their tents in John and Lucy Bell's yard. One of the men claimed to be a witch tamer. After uh, several uneventful hours, he pulled out a shiny pistol and proclaimed that its silver bullets would kill any evil spirit that it came into contact with. He went on to say that the reason nothing had happened to them was because whatever had been haunting the bells was scared of his silver bullet. Immediately, the man screamed and began jerking his body in different directions, complaining that he was being stuck with pins and beaten severely. A strong, swift kick to the man's posterior region from an invisible foot sent him out the front door. Angry, the entity spoke up and announced that there was yet another fraud in Jackson's party and that she would identify him the following evening. Now terrified, Jackson's men begged to leave the Bell Farm. Jackson insisted on saying he wanted to know who the other fraud was. The men eventually went outside to sleep in their tents while continuously begging Jackson to leave. What happened next is not clear, but Jackson and his entourage were spotted in nearby Springfield early the next morning, going back to Nashville. Some alleged that Jackson later proclaimed, I would rather fight the British in New Orleans than fight the Bell Witch. And that tells me all I need to know about the Bell Witch. Because if you would rather fight in a battle than fight an entity, all I need to know. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, eventually the Bell Witch sets her sights on John Bell, so let's get into that. The disturbances decreased after Betsy and Joshua's engagement ended, but the entity continued to express disdain for John Bell, relentlessly vowing to kill him. Bell had been experiencing episodes of twitching in his face and difficulty swallowing for almost a year, and the malady grew worse with time. 
By the fall of 1820, his declining health had confined him to the house, where the malicious entity continuously removed his shoes when he tried to walk and slapped his face when he recovered from his numerous seizures. His shrill voice was heard all over the farm, cursing and chastising old Jack Bell, the nickname she had given for him. John Bell breathed his last breath on the morning of December 20, 1820, after slipping into a coma a day earlier. Immediately after his death, his family found a vial of strange black liquid in the cupboard. John Jr. sprinkled two drops on the cat's tongue. The cat jumped into the air, rolled over in mid-air, and was dead when it hit the floor. The entity exclaimed, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. John Jr. tossed the mysterious vial into the fireplace. It burst into a bright blue flame and shot up the chimney. Quite freaky. Right. John Bell's funeral was one of the largest ever held in Robertson County, Tennessee. People attended from miles away, and three preachers, two Methodists and one Baptist, eulogized him. As the crowd of mourners began leaving the graveyard, the Bell Witch entity laughed and sang a song about a bottle of brandy. Her fervent singing didn't stop until the last mourner had left the graveyard. The entity's presence was almost non-existent after John Bell's demise, as though it had fulfilled its purpose. Yes. So. That's yeah. crazy. It is. To just attack one person like that, you know? Mm. Yeah. I wonder why I chose him. Then there's Betsy Bell's engagement that got disrupted because of the Bell Witch. So over time, Betsy Bell became interested in Joshua Gardner, a young man who lived nearby. With the blessing of their parents, they decided to marry. Everyone was happy about their engagement. Well, almost everyone. The evil, mysterious entity became furious and repeatedly ordered Betsy not to marry Joshua. Betsy and Joshua's former school teacher, Professor Richard Powell, had been noticeably interested in Betsy for some time and had expressed interest in marrying her when she became older. By some accounts, Powell, who was 11 years Betsy's senior, was a student of the occult, ventriloquism, and mathematical genius, and well-versed in horticulture and geology. He was secretly married to a woman in a nearby Nashville, Esserscott, during the time he lived and taught school at Red River, and perceived as a happy-go-lucky bachelor, and expressed his unwavering fondness for Betsy Bell. According to early accounts, Powell politely expressed his disappointment with Betsy's engagement to Joshua and wished her a long and prosperous marriage. Betsy and Joshua could not go to the river, the fields, or the caves to play without the entity nagging them. The constant pressure was more than Betsy Bell could handle, and on Easter Monday of 1821, she met Joshua at the river and broke off the engagement. Oh my god. That... So she broke up with somebody because an old witch didn't like him. I don't like that. It was that. torturing her, I mean, I mean, yeah, I guess. By this point, right, she'd already seen it kill her father. Yeah. So, I wouldn't want to push it. Yeah, I probably wouldn't want to do that either. I'd be like, yeah, you gotta go. Sorry. <laughs> the entity bade, bade farewell, but returned in 1828. In April of 1821, shortly after Betsy Bell had broken off her engagement, the entity visited John Bell's widow, Lucy Bell, and told her that it was leaving, but it would return in seven years. The entity returned in 1828, as promised. Most of the return visit centered on John Bell Jr., with whom the entity discussed the origin of life, civilizations, Christianity, and the need for a major spiritual reawakening. Of particular significance were its predictions of the Civil War and other major events, some of which she missed. The entity bade farewell after three weeks, promising to visit John Bell's most direct descendant in 107 years. 
The year would be 1935, and the closest living direct descendant at the time was Nashville physician Dr. Charles Bailey Bell, a neurologist, and John Bell, Sr.'s great-grandson. So the promised 1935 return. In 1934, Dr. Bell published a book about the Bell Witch, likely to raise awareness of the spirit's impending return. The book contains the first ever account of the alleged conferences between the entity and John Bell Jr. in 1828. The author's father, Dr. Joel Thomas Bell, had allegedly taken notes during the conferences and upon his death passed them down to him, Dr. Charles Bailey Bell. Dr. Bell published no follow-up to his 1934 book. He died in 1945 and is buried at Bellwood Cemetery in Adams, Tennessee. Did the Bell Witch return in 1935 as promised? Some say she did not return, or that if she did, they were not aware of it. But many say she never left the place to begin with. Now that I can believe. So, just so you guys are aware, Betsy broke off her engagement in 1821. And not long after she broke up with him, the entity visited Lucy Bell and told her that she was leaving and she would return in seven years. So, 1828. So, the... The, the Bell Witch returned in 1828, just like she promised, and then she told them that she was leaving, and she would come back in 107 years, but then nobody knows if she actually returned or not. Yeah. Just so you guys are keeping up with he the story He was suspicious line. of it, but yeah. never wrote anything about if anything happened. Right. And I kind of agree with that. Many says she never left the place to begin with. I don't know. She probably didn't. Yeah. She's probably still there. Probably just went a little quiet, didn't have anyone to torment that yeah. she wanted to. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Okay, so the entity that tormented the Bell family in the Red River settlement almost 200 years ago is often blamed for unexplainable manifestations that occur near the old Bell farm today. The faint sounds of people talking and children playing can sometimes be heard in the area, and it's not uncommon to see candle lights dance through the dark fields at night. Photography is especially difficult. Some pictures taken in the area show mist, orbs of light, and other phenomena including human-like figures who were not present when the picture was taken. Could these phenomena be related to the haunting of John Bell's family? The cause of the Bell family's torment 200 years ago, along with today's continued phenomena in the area, although to a lesser extent, remain a mystery. Numerous theories have been put forth, but have all been debunked. However, most researchers agree that something had to have caused the incidents at Red River in the early 1800s that gave rise to the Bell Witch legend as we know it today. Who knows? It happened to the John Bell family in 1817. Maybe next time it'll happen to your family. Hold that thought for now. Yes. Sleep tight tonight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Pleasant dreams. So my resource for this story was bellwitch.org. I got this entire story from there. So you can go on there and read a little bit more about it. Or if you know more about it, you can always shoot us an email and we can talk about it on a different episode. If you know more information than we do, please feel free to send it to us. That's it for today. Thanks for coming to hang out with us and listening to today's story. Don't forget you can find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. All the links can be found on our website, 3amtalesofterror.com. That's three, the number three, not the word. You can also subscribe with your email for updates there as well. Just scroll all the way to the bottom under contact us. You'll find the links to all of our social media. If you have any questions for us or story ideas, you can email us at info at 3amtalesofterror.com. We hope you'll join us next week. And we hope you were terrified. terrified.